0: That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
2: You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Homeless Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett.
0: This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. At Spirit been on Twitter, no Bradley Sal. Today, Nick Suss of the Jackson-Clarion-Ledger stepping in like he sometimes does on this podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to review Talk of Champions in iTunes, and when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say. As long as it's five stars, this podcast can be found wherever you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions, and I write for the old Miss Spirit, omspirit.com and the food of on3.com. Nick writes for the Jackson-Clarion-Ledger covering Ole Miss. Hey, buddy, what's up?
3: Oh, I've been good. I've been good. Oh, yeah. I've been spending way too much time, like, army crawling under fences recently.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Okay, hold on. You're the guy that walked a marathon in his house during COVID, and now you're army crawling under fences. Why?
3: You yeah, know, the, the marathon thing was about anxiety. This okay.
0: one was more about, like, uh,
3: my rabbit <laughs> kept getting outside.
0: <laughs> uh, wait, 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 <laughs> and, wait! <laughs> You have a pet rabbit. I think we talked about this before. What's the rabbit's name?
3: Yeah. Inky, like ink blot. <laughs> it's black and white rabbit. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, what happened uh, to Inky? Our backyard is, our backyard is fenced in. Oh, but there's good. a little area where a part of the fence is shorter <laughs> than the rest of the fence. And apparently the rabbit figured out how to jump over it. Because I don't know if you've heard this, but rabbits hop.
0: Oh, um, breaking news, breaking yeah, yeah, news. No, Hold on, I got to do the breaking news. Breaking news, according to Nick Suss of the Jackson-Clarion Ledger's Bunnies Hop. Back to you, Nick.
3: Yes. So my, my neighborhood is configured in such a way that there are two rows of houses back to back, and almost every backyard is fenced. Nick, no. So the no. rabbit was small enough to go under fences. No, you did I am not small enough. Oh, my God. So I had to chase this thing, army crawling under fences, to try and get it for about 90 minutes. And so, like, I, I live in a small enough neighborhood that people notice <laughs> when somebody is walking around. Because you're not a small guy. You're like what?
0: Themselves holding a rake. Yeah, and you're like 6'2", six, 6'3". Six,
3: yeah, and I was barefoot and I was holding a rake because it kept going under decks that I was too big to fit under. So I had to, like, jab at it with the end of a rake. Just and then let Inky be free.
0: And trap it. Let Inky be free.
3: Eventually, I gave up after 90 minutes of crawling in mud and pollen and having sneeze attacks. And uh, it came back on its own because it realized that the water was here. Like, so when our cat gets out, the cat is smart enough to think, oh, my food is there. But the rabbit just eats grass. Like, it has no reason to come home. I'm proud it came home. And I'm less proud that it got out again, like, eight days later. Um <laughs> And there was a very nice couple down the road. Shout out to Deb and Mike, who helped me and Becca this time. Thanks,
0: Deb. Thanks, Mike. Uh,
3: And uh, the the most scathing part of the second search was when Deb looked me and Becca in the eyes and said, y'all better not have children.
0: Um, That was fun. Golly, Deb. (laughs) What a jump to make, Deb. Jeez, You should have looked at her in the face and said, hey, Deb. I wasn't asking for notes. Uh,
3: but so the, uh, the rabbit kept going under this same deck and it was, it's a wide deck, but it's very low to the ground. So nobody this could fit under so there. Ridiculous. And so I was on one side of it. Deb uh-huh. was on another side of it. Yep. Becca was on the third side of it. And Mike was holding a rake, trying to jab at it. And gosh, we, we are not coordinated enough for this. The reason I was barefoot is cause like, I kept having to kick off my shoes to sprint after it because my shoes would get in the way, and then it would just like go onto a rocky area because it knows <laughs> that it would hurt me, uh-huh. and I'm running on pebbles and I'm just like you friggin' and then somebody has to check out from their window. They're like, "Hey, are you mentally stable?" <sighs> I'm like, "No, no,
0: I've and you got been d- I'm being." Deb over here, Deb over here a rabbit. Yeah, and you got Deb over here telling you that you're going to be a bad parent. You got Mike, practical Mike. You know, he's trying to formulate a plan, really scoop up. He's got the rake. He's like, all right, look, we go to a 90-degree angle. What a way to start this podcast. This is fantastic. Let Inky live, man. Let Inky live,
3: Oh, no. I've probably mentioned it on the podcast before. I completely had to reconfigure my house where I put my couch and my gate and everything to trap it in one room so it stopped coming upstairs. Okay, this is the last carpet. thing
0: I'm going to say because we've got to move on to Ole Miss stuff. You just said to trap Inky. Let Inky live, man. How is a rabbit a pet? A rabbit's not like a dog. A dog gives you some type of validation. You feed it. It's excited to see you. You pet it. A cat, cats are assholes. What is the benefit of having a rabbit as a pet? Does it give you unconditional so- love? No.
3: So if I lay on the floor, it'll climb up on me and sit on my chest. That's kind of cool.
0: Been a while since I talked to you. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah?
3: As I was telling you a little bit before the show, my hand is feeling a little weird because I minorly electrocuted myself in the Swayzefield press box oh, on Sunday.
0: Nick. Nick, how did you electrocute yourself? How would you do that? I, I was
3: just trying to plug my laptop into an outlet. Okay.
0: That usually doesn't lead to getting been, electrocuted, though.
3: Yeah, the outlet must have been a little bit exposed. Uh, and it's also, remember how the, the desk, the box is like, makes it hard for you to be able to see under it. So you kind of have to like absentmindedly poke with your cord to find where the plug is. And I think my finger might've gone in a socket and, uh,
0: yeah, just don't do that. Very own brand for you, Nick. I don't know why. I don't know why electrocuting yourself is own brand, but it just kind of works with what your whole aesthetic
3: yeah, no, it's just been a frantic week of me breaking laptops and electrocuting myself
0: and just narrowly avoiding calamity at every turn. And watching a sweep, covering a sweep of Ole Miss baseball against, say, they're okay, but it's Alabama. This isn't Tennessee, and Ole Miss got swept at home.
3: In a lot of ways, this was worse
0: than Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Tennessee
3: felt excusable. Tennessee's inevitable. Like, this team's 12 and 0. They are firing on all cylinders. And this weekend, they struggled a bit at times with Missouri but by their standards struggling just means they didn't have three wire-to-wire victories um yeah this weekend against Alabama was just you can't count on the offense to score 10 runs a game and even when they do score 10 runs you can't count on that to be a win
0: where does Ole Miss baseball go from here
3: I will hit you with a Socratic question before I answer, but like, so is the goal still to win now or is the goal to make your players better? Because those are two very different
0: approaches to the rest of the season. The goal at the end of this year, with everything we know about Ole Miss baseball and Mike Bianco and Keith Carter, he has to get to Omaha. feels like we're barreling towards a coaching change. So, if that's the
3: case, if we're still operating under the every game is a must win game operation. I wouldn't say
0: that, but you got to win your series. You can't get swept at home in back to back series. And Tennessee yeah. is Tennessee, but Alabama is not that good. Ole Miss and Alabama are, if anything, comparable right now, which they shouldn't be because Ole Miss should be better, but they have no pitching.
3: The reason I bring that up is like if you think about 2017 when this team was no good, but the operation was always we got a bunch of really good freshmen let's put them in a position that next year we can be really good. And next year they were really good in 2018 and then 2019. They were really good. 2020 they were really good. 2021 they were really good. This year's not like that because it's not built around freshmen, Gray Kessinger, that's and right. Thomas Dillard. Yeah. like it's built around a bunch of juniors and seniors.
0: And that's so, why it doesn't make sense why they're so bad. Well, it just comes down to,
3: I wrote a lot about this yesterday. And if you guys want to read 1500 words about this, you can, but What it comes down to is there was some NAFU in either development or evaluation of the 2019 class because that was the number two rated recruiting class in the country, just like the 2016 class was number one. This was supposed to be the reload class and you look through the five biggest pitching signings in that class. They were Derek Diamond, Drew McDaniel, Jackson Kimbrell, Wes Burton, and Braden Forsyth. One's not on the team anymore. Two are completely unused it feels and the other two are struggling to hang on after starting the year in the starting rotation it's something went wrong either they were not properly evaluated as recruits or they have not properly been developed on campus which it's hard to separate either of those from one another and it's also really hard to say that oh well that's what you should expect because if there's one thing that Ole Miss has done consistently over the 22 years of Bianco's tenure it's evaluate and develop pitching. That's right. Like this has been a team that has consistently had really good pitching. So that's right. it is a very bizarre circumstance that Ole Miss is in the situation it is because it whiffed on an entire class of pitchers, but that's where it is. And they didn't have the scholarship money to go out and solve those problems in the 2020 and 2021 recruiting classes, which is why, other than Hunter Elliott right now, it's not looking like any freshmen or sophomores are ready to compete for that starting role. Maybe Jack Doherty can peek back in at some point, but still, he's had his ups and downs. No Riley Maddox out the portal, Eventually, maybe, but right now, he can't start. Right yeah. now, he's not there yet, but... Then you go out into the portal and that's what John Gaddis and Jack Washburn is for. John Gaddis has taken a pretty significant step back from what he was at Corpus Christi and Jack Washburn has been effectively the same guy he was at Oregon state there. He walked five and a half batters per nine here. He's walking 5.2 batters per nine, still very low batting average against still mitigates disaster, but not really the best when it comes to working deep into games. So, All of that combines to, so your pitching's bad. Is the offense good enough to make up for it? And sometimes it looks like it is, but at a certain point you have to stop defending an offense that can go two different games in an SEC series with four hits. That's not good (laughs) that this team is averaging 11 or 12 hits a game in non-conference play and then in SEC play they can't really sustain offensive rallies you combine all of that with a team that on Friday, I think started two players in their natural position. They came to campus on Hayden Dunhurst was playing catcher. Jacob Gonzalez was playing shortstop. I'm fairly certain everybody else was playing out of position compared to what they were recruited. And a lot of that is Baden Chatelier playing second instead of short Reagan Burford playing third instead of short. I get all of that, but still a lot of players playing off their natural position an offense that maybe isn't as top level elite as we thought it was and a pitching staff that just, you can't say why it happened, but there were some whiffs.
0: Well, listening to that, an Ole Miss fan, I think would easily say, well, those are all coaching problems. I think really what it all comes back to, not all of it, but I think the number one problem is Derek Diamond. Derek Diamond, has dealt with so many injuries over the course of his Ole Miss career. And he's not – he might be. As far as the medical clearance and everything, he might be. But he doesn't look right. He just doesn't look like what he was when he started. And a lot of that has to do with injury history. And Derek Diamond was supposed to be the guy that leads the rotation after Doug and Gunner leave, and he hasn't been that guy. Well, if you don't have that stabilizing guy, if all three of your weekend starters are TBA.
3: (laughs) Yeah, which kind of brings it all back to – the idea of what are you playing for right now? Cause if you're playing to win, there's a pretty tried and true solution with Derek diamond. I ran the numbers on this yesterday and it took way too long, <laughs> but I want you to guess what Derek diamonds ERA is through the first nine batters of a game he faces. And I want you to guess what Derek diamonds ERA is after batter 10. Oh, he should be I an have opener. the numbers in front of me.
0: Okay. He should I'm be an curious.
3: Opener. What your expectation is.
0: I bet he's sub two in his first nine. And after 10? Oh, it goes up to six or something crazy. All right, so I have it in
3: front of me. First nine, counting relief outings, Uh two, six, one.
0: Oh, not close.
3: Ten or later, Uh ten, six,
0: seven. Oh my God. He's a true opener.
3: So, like, again, I'm not going to be the guy who's just saying, oh, get him out after nine completely remove feel from the game.
0: I am. But like take him out of the game.
3: If, if the if the plan is nobody on this team has any roles, we're just taking pitchers out when it's time to get them out.
0: Oh that's not fair. That's the not, it's, still, has, it's still a role. No, it's just a, it's reimagining the role. No no
3: no no but my point is I'm saying what Mike Bianco said on Friday.
0: Oh okay. If he
3: stands by what he said, then the goal shouldn't be Okay, person is in trouble, get him out. The goal should be get him out before there's trouble. Right. And I know that in college baseball, sample sizes are too small to have the predictive analytics of, oh, well, Jack Doherty should face seven hitters, or oh, well, um, Dylan DeLucia should face X amount of hitters. But I think that there is a pretty clear line of demarcation with Derek Diamond. He's been here for three years and I think any observer can tell you what he is through nine versus what he is after 10. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at, where you look at. It's different
0: with him than Dylan DeLucia. Dylan DeLucia, you still, there's not enough of a body of work against SEC pitching or excuse me, SEC hitting to really know what his limitations are, just what he needs to be. Derek Diamond, he's an opener.
3: Yeah. And that gets me to the, the major point of like the strategy that Bianco is employing right now, the, pitcherlessness idea, the starterlessness idea is the correct idea. This it team should not be sticking to old school baseball yes. rules because it doesn't have the roster to do that. The problem is if you're using that idea, you can't also throw Brandon Johnson 80 pitches in one game. Cannot do it. Like you have to kind of have this line of Jack Washburn stranded five runners in the first two innings on Sunday. That is usually a pretty good indicator that he doesn't have his best stuff. But if you're getting Hunter Elliott out after three on Friday, because he gave up three runs and two of them came on a bloop single, that was a defensive mistake. It doesn't make sense to put Washburn back in for the third on Sunday when he'd already had to strand five runners. Uh And wouldn't you know it? He gave up two doubles and two runs in the third inning. And that's when things started to escalate. Now, I'm not saying that it's a perfect formula. There are always going to be times when you think you're making the right decision. You put Dylan DeLucian in the fourth and he gives up five runs. Pitchers aren't Automatons. There are going to be problems. Sometimes guys aren't going to perform at their best. Shit's gonna happen. Derek Diamond against Kentucky Uh gave up three runs in the first nine through. It happens. He's not perfect against the front nine. Sometimes pitchers are going to make mistakes. But this strategy is so much more based on anticipation than it is on reaction. And I think that's the next step in this evolution, not to be critical of, oh, he's only being reactionary. It's just like, that's the next step as you're well, learning what to coach this way. And as you're learning to plan this way is being more anticipatory. And that is the way forward. I don't know how well it will work because I don't have a crystal ball and I haven't done too much of the analytics on most guys other than diamond, but That's the step forward is get guys out before they're in trouble. Well, defensively, they've
0: been bad. And something I've talked about on this podcast for a long time, Jacob Gonzalez is a next-level player, no doubt about it. Great hitter, great defender, but he's not a shortstop. He's not. He's not been good defensively at shortstop. But because Mike has decided Jacob Gonzalez is his shortstop, he's going to play shortstop. Rather than move him off of short, get better by putting – even if it's a consistent guy with lesser range, like a Justin Bench at short, his natural position. Justin Bench, he's not going to have any real basic mistakes. It's going to be clean if he can get to the ball. Doesn't have this elite arm the strength. problem with that right now, yeah. it just comes down to unique bench in center field. Yeah, you do.
3: Like, to me, the big question with defensive alignment is, can Elko play third again? Because we've seen him make some plays this year. I don't know how much of the game you watched, like, with your actual eyes this weekend. But Elko made three or four pretty impressive diving stops moving to his left and to his right. If he's back to being a guy who can play every day third base, that kind of frees you up to say, well, can Burford play second? Sure. And when you start moving there and start wondering, oh, well, if we platoon Burford and Chatagnier at second, instead of making both of them everyday players, that frees you up at first base to maybe put Calvin Harris there, maybe put Camp Alderman there, maybe Van Cleve, if you want him back in the lineup, he's still got like a 460 on base percentage this year and doesn't play anymore. Uh, th- there are ways to free it up to kind of loosen your lineup and take out some of the guys who are struggling. But I think it comes down to, is Elko confident enough to Play third again. I, I don't know the answer to that, and I don't know what the answer to should Shotenye be in the lineup every day. Should Burford be in the lineup every day? Is because those are both guys who look super duper good in the first half of the season and have struggled a little bit more in SEC play. Shotenye more pronouncedly than Burford, but something's got to give. You'd think with the infield.
0: This is talk of champions. I'm Ben Garrett. He's Nick Suss. Stepping in for Bradley Sal, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. He'll be back later this week here on Talk of Champions. If you haven't already, subscribe to View review Talk of Champions on iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say as long as it's five stars. Right for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of com. Let's hear from Cheney's Pharmacy and Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Finally, spring is back in Oxford, Mississippi. We can go outside, enjoy it, the beautiful weather, and Oxford in the spring is like no other place in America. But don't be one of those people that gets stuck in the house because you're sick. You need a pharmacy that will take care of you, will give you what you need, and you can go about your days filled with happiness and joy with the sun shining in your face in Oxford, one of the most beautiful places in America. Well, the only place to go, Cheney's Pharmacy. A locally owned pharmacy that's been in oxford for over 40 years as red and blue as the rebels themselves cheney's pharmacy offers prescription synchronization immunizations compounding a two lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance cheney's pharmacy provides the best customer service out there hands down it's not close so give cheney's a call 662-234-7221 or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at cheneyspharmacy.com. Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Chinese Pharmacy. Much more than just a pharmacy. Ah, it's springtime in Oxford again. Who doesn't love springtime in Oxford? Flowers bloom and the squares popping. Ole Miss baseball, a little old Miss spring football. It's honestly one of the best times of the year, so why not enjoy it? See all the beauty that Oxford has to offer in a brand new car, truck, or Jeep. Well, if you're in the market... The only place to go, Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Alan Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience and what separates them from every other dealership in Oxford, Mississippi as Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Most everyone who's listened to this podcast should know by now, this is the only place to go. And when you go, ask for Brian or Mason, tell them, talk of champions since you, and take advantage of any one or more of the services Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford provides by contacting them at 662 662- 2348,000, that's 662 2348,000, 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford, Mississippi. Alan Samuels, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. If you're Mike Bianco, and you know, even though it hasn't been put out there as a directive, Keith Carter hasn't said he's got to get to Omaha or he's getting fired. But after the very public flirtation with LSU, which, let's be honest here, could have been a fireable offense it could have been so if you kind of know what the directive is supposed to be or going to be or is why then do you continue to shoot the same bullets yeah i will argue though
3: that like people have done studies in major league baseball on lineup construction about like should mike trout hit second or third and Second. over the course of a 106 over the course of a 162 game season, it's a difference of about ten runs. So over the course of a fifty-five game season, what's that work out to in a, a difference of about three runs? Lineup construction is a little more ballyhooed than we make it out to be. I agree that you should maximize it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do the smartest thing. But as long as your first four hitters are some combination of your best four hitters, I really don't think there's too much of an issue with Gonzalez one, two, or three.
2: No,
0: I agree. I don't care. Like Gonzo can lead off or he can bat second or third. I don't care where Gonzo bats as long as he's in in the top three. More or less, it's about giving Kevin Graham more opportunities at the top of the lineup, Um, moving Justin Bench down. There's some things you could do. But if you know what the directive is, if you know that if I don't make the Omaha, it's probably over. Why wouldn't you try different things? Why would you say, okay, the same cast of characters pitching this weekend, oh, I'm going to go with so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so. This is my lineup, I bet. so. I I would just try anything I could to jumpstart this thing because you just got swept in back-to-back home series. When's the last time that happened? 97. 97. 1997. And this is a team that last year was a win away from making it to Omaha. Pretty much the same team returning because you didn't have Gunner for the most consequential stretches of last season. You had Doug. You can't replace Doug. You know what the problems are. The one guy who can make the difference, the guy holding the Sharpie is Mike, and he continues to just go, ah, well, let's give it another day. It's not working.
3: Yeah, and I think some of it has to be a little more planned than – we're going to pitch a guy until I don't want to pitch him anymore. I think that there has to be a little bit more uh, forethought, but I do think that some of the stuff with lineup construction or uh, defensive construction is just resignation. I think some of it is, this is who we are, the majors. We can't make a trade. We can't Mm -hmm. add players. Mm -hmm. There's a hole in the outfield. There's some of the issues are the issues and no matter what the coaching staff does, the players are who they are and that's not to denigrate any individual players and i don't i don't subscribe to the theory that anytime a coach says that a player has made a mistake he's throwing that player under the bus i think sometimes accountability matters
0: yeah it's part of the job description he's the guy that's responsible for making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing that's not necessarily throwing it under the bus when you're just explaining what's going on
3: so yesterday i asked bianco about Derek diamonds, two home runs, he gave up mm-hmm. and Bianco explained first one was completely on me. Shouldn't have thrown a slider. I called a slider. It was, uh, he sat on it and he hit it far. Second one, Derek didn't make as good of a pitch as he should have. And the guy turned on it. He made two mistakes in five innings. Otherwise he was perfect. And yeah, though no, that's absolutely true. It's totally fine to say, one of them was a bad call, and one of them was a bad
0: pitch. See, so, if an uh, Ole Miss fan is listening to this right now and wanting to react, I feel like they would say, because that's been a long-held complaint with Mike. It's calling the pitches for his pitchers, not trusting. Hayden Dunhurst is going to be a pro after this year. Yeah, he's not hitting enough, but defensively, sure. he's the best defensive catcher in the draft. He's been that since he got to Ole he's Miss pretty got- much. He's also got like a four ten on base. He's doing well. Yeah, what he's, he's doing to do fine. With the he's getting a, in the line. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like he's he's been fine. You don't think Hayden Dunhurst can call a game. doesn't know these pitchers better or just as well as as Mike does. But Mike, if he blames himself for calling the slider for Derek Diamond, well, then the old Miss fan will say, All right, don't call the slider, don't call the pitches. Yeah, but I think you'll admit the call and pitching thing is just a
3: confirmation bias, right? Yes. Like, it's just – that is a thing that some people have
0: thought for a while. So anytime there's a mistake, that's the problem. I've always had that beef with college baseball, though. I've always – I've never liked that about college baseball. Like, I get it if you're calling it for Riley Maddox or whoever, like true freshman pitcher. If, If you're helping them, Derek Diamond, I mean, he's three years into this thing. Hayden Dunhurst, I mean, that's the best defensive catcher in college baseball. There has to be a trust element in that respect as far as calling pitches.
3: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I think that that's a fair criticism of college baseball at large, but I also think that kind of going back to what we said 10 minutes ago or so, pitching has usually been good here.
0: It <laughs> like, has. yeah,
3: that's right. It's funny that if this is the undoing of the Mike Bianco era, it happens because the thing that has most consistently been here isn't here. And so – I don't think you can fairly say, Oh, this coaching staff has lost it. I just think this is a thing they've excelled at for a long time and they're not excelling at it right now. So it's easy to point fingers and say, well, it's your fault. You're the guy who usually makes it excel. But like we talked about this last time I was on the show with Kermit and coaching changes and all of that. Generally, I don't know how much of a difference a coaching change makes. And my thought is Hypothetically, Mike uh almost moves on from Mike Bianco. Mike Bianco takes another job next year in the short term. The team that hires Mike Bianco will be better off than the team that replaces Mike Bianco in the long term. You have no way of knowing what's going to happen, but in the short term, there's a really long body of evidence that shows what Mike Bianco is and <laughs> that's kind of why Ole Miss is in the situation it is because you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't when it comes to moving on from a good thing, is it the right time to move on? If there ever was a right time, it's probably now, but that's the fear when it comes to moving on from somebody who is inarguably the greatest coach in program history. Like, it's scary. It's tricky. And if there are fans who are trepidatious for moving on because they remember the nineties, that's a totally grounded fear. If there are fans who think we have built enough here that somebody can come and build upon it, that's a totally justifiable thought too. This is a completely fair space for everybody to believe whatever they want to believe about the future of the program. But to say that this year is a referendum on the last 21 years is kind
0: of that's not what I'm saying. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say. Oh, I'm, no, no, I'm not yeah. saying that
3: about you. I'm yeah. saying
0: that broadly. I, I just feel like it's kind of to the place where it was with Andy Kennedy, where um, everybody kind of knew that it was over. If he doesn't make it to Omaha, and this team isn't making it to Omaha at this point.
3: The next thing I'm about to say is not an accusation. Okay, Please do not read it as an accusation. It is a hypothesis. Okay, If you were the person in charge... Of this program, me, and you know, and you knew heading out of last season, uh-huh. what the pitching situation looked like. Would it have made more sense to part ways with a coach heading into a year where things could be bad, or would it have made more sense to let that coach take the fall on a year where things could be bad and then bring in somebody new? and reset.
0: I appreciate your hypothetical. I appreciate your hypothetical. I would respond with this. As the athletic director, the athletics director making the hires and the decisions in these ways, I am not tasked with knowing talent, with knowing if John Gaddis is the answer, with knowing if Jack Washburn is the answer. I'm not the one that makes those (laughs) determinations. That is Mike Bianco. He is hired to do that. Same thing with football and Lane Kiffin. but my point... Right. So how would I know that? Even if the coach said that, like... That's on him, you know, like he's got, he's got to make those calls.
3: And that's my point is if it's on him, it's on him. And now if the failure happens, you're not running a coach out of town because he flirted with another school. You're running a coach out of town because the results weren't good. Mm -hmm. Instead of bringing in somebody else. And then in year one, their results
0: aren't good. Yeah. Breakups in any way are never, are very rarely clean they're always kind of messy correct let let me ask you this though right.
3: if there is a change is it by firing or resignation
0: it's the mutual agreement
3: of parting ways that's what i was going to say i do not think he is traditionally fired i agree i think they do it in a way that still works out compensatorily but i do not think that it is a
0: direct i firing. agree there's a lot of season left though And I still believe, because I said they were going to make Omaha to start the year, I still believe they have that kind of potential. How do they return to that then? What's the fix so that the conversation shifts from, oh, God, the inevitability of what's going to happen to Mike Bianco to what we thought this team could be? Because i got to stick with it because I predicted it. They're going to go to Omaha. They're going to make it. They're going to bust through the glass ceiling. How do they get there now? Sometimes I think
3: it's instructive to try to think about sports that we know so well Uh as if we didn't know anything about them Ooh, okay and so like just think about baseball broadly all
0: right and
3: if you've never seen a game before and i explained to you the best players in the world are successful approximately 42 percent of the time those are the absolute best in the world right you would understandably think oh well, in that case, you're probably going to lose a lot if you're built around that aspect of the game. Of course, that's not how it works. Teams with great offenses don't lose a lot because their great offenses one to nine. But what does happen is sometimes all nine go cold at the same time. That happened a couple of times. Statistically, it is unlikely that it continues to happen. Now, if there are structural issues like the ability to hit a breaking ball or the ability to guard with two strikes or with three balls or any of that stuff, those structural issues are going to persist. But generally, if you have a lineup with Jacob Gonzalez, Tim Elko, Kevin Graham, Camp Alderman, et cetera, generally things are going to progress to a mean in this case, if they're below the mean, I think that the offense will continue to be what it is throughout the rest of the year. Going back to the idea of if you did not understand baseball and you took the flip side of it Mm -hmm. and said the worst pitchers in the world are still successful approximately 60% of the time, you would think, okay, all you have to do then is figure out how to use them which is what they're trying to do. I still think this is a team on the way down. I should say with pitching. I think they're a team on the way down. I don't think they've hit that rock bottom yet.
0: Oh which boy.
3: <laughs> which is tough to say when they've lost six straight at home to start SEC play. Oh. I don't necessarily know if we've seen, Because I mean, think about this weekend. They gave up. What was it? Seven, 12, seven. That's bad.
0: Ole Miss baseball gets to Omaha with where they are now, they get their how? Uh. <laughs> what do they do?
3: There are two ways it happens. Okay. One is either the pitching gets a lot better, or two, more realistically, the offense goes on some historic tear starting in May and they get put in a favorable regional. Because let's say Ole Miss is a two-seed. Right now they might be a three-seed. Who mm. knows where they end up if they make the postseason. But let's say they're a two-seed, and they get put in a favorable regional where it's a small stadium, and they can bang box their way to a super. And then in the super, as I've been saying for the four years I've been on this beat, supers are coin flips. Game three of a super is a coin flip, and Ole Miss has been remarkably bad at
0: coin flips. Yeah, I agree. So, I typically agree. But when does it become a point of one for eight? One for eight? Oh, I agree.
3: I agree that it's super suspicious. But I also say, what if there's not a throwing error?
0: Okay, I, I agree. But all right, what uh, if there, there are
3: so many? What if that's what makes it a coin flip? <sighs>
0: But like, what if he got to ten? What if it was one for ten? What is there a number? I'm guess I'm, I'm getting at. Is there a number where you go? Okay, now it's not about a coin flip. Maybe there is something that's just wrong. I don't know. I really don't know.
3: Because like, think about what happened in Game Three last year. Yeah, They did the smart thing. They started Taylor Broadway. They did the correct thing. It backfired. <laughs> they had this lineup in a hitter's park that's supposed to be 12 runs a game, and this lineup showed it score that on yeah. Saturday. And then the next day they go out and they lay an egg. Like, you can't really
0: Ooh, blame you want a hot takey decisions on that. first take kind of quick question off of that. Should Ole Miss fans have known after that third game that offensive struggles were inevitable for 2022? we discuss up next on first take. I will
3: one up you with a first take, take that I've been okay. sitting on for a few days. Love it. What if, so like, if you look down the list of players, this team lost over the last season, sure. It's Doug and Gunner and it's all of the, uh, really good pitchers Broadway. You also lost all of your fun guys, Doug and John rice and Kale Baker and the guys who like made the dugout want to dance. during. Oh, we're talking about team just, chemistry.
0: Like, Uh Oh,
3: I don't know if it's a chemistry thing. I think it's like they don't look like they're having as much fun as they had last year. And obviously winning is fun. Like, that's why you have
0: fun. My response is going to be, yeah, they're
3: losing, Nick. (laughs) If you want to have the first take, take it is. Does John Rice Plumlee's departure affect this team more than we thought? There's
0: your first take. That is fire. All right, let's move on. We only got a few minutes left here. What are your general takeaways right now after three full weeks of Old Miss spring football practices, nine practices in all? They got 15 in total they can do, and they wrap with the Grove Bowl on April 23rd. April 23rd? Yes, April 23rd. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Old Miss spring football so far?
3: I'll get the quarterback discussion out of the way early. One right. of them is much better at throwing deep, but is a little too aggressive. One of them looks much more confident in the offense, but doesn't seem to be making the same number of big plays. This is exactly who they thought we would, uh, who we thought they would be. Take your pick. (laughs) They have looked effectively equivalent. One has a higher ceiling. The other looks more prepared to win right now. The rest of the team. I don't know, man, it's spring. (laughs) Like, I think that the running backs have looked quite good. I've really liked what I've seen from Evans and Bentley and Quinchon Judkins. I think that all of them have looked good in the couple of practices I've been to. The receiving core is not anywhere near as deep as it needs to be. And that could end up being an issue if they don't add another couple of pieces uh in the summer. Offensive line has a depth issue. The front five should be really good. But if anyone gets hurt, I really don't know who the sixth and seventh and eighth man up are. Defensive front, I actually really like what I've seen from them. This spring, I think that Jared Ivey really looks the part. I think Cedric Johnson's going to be a good player uh, again. I think that Gary Coleman and Tadius Robinson are going to help with the pass rush and J.J. Pegues and Katie Hill and Jamon Gordon and uh which one am I forgetting? Isaiah Aiton are going to be good in the middle again. Then you have your Taiwan Malones and DeSanto Rollins and all those guys. They're going to help. And I think you're going to be deeper up front than you've been in the past couple of years. Linebacker, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> there are just so many moving pieces, so many new guys. I think that Troy Brown is obviously going to be a factor, but then after that, Ashanti Sistrunk's had his moments and Austin Keyes has had his moments and I think there are going to be some guys who filter in with your Reginald Hughes and the other freshmen they signed in this class when they get here in the fall. Secondary, I think that there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. I think they're probably a little deeper at corner this year than they were last year, but you're probably missing the effects of the veteran Jalen Jones and Dean Leonard presences. So you're probably going to have to find some pieces who are more true number ones than they had last year at safety i think they're going to be really solid again i think aj finley will probably be the best player on this defense if not the best player on this team oh wow very very good player i i've said for two years now that this might be my overarching take but i think aj finley has the longest pro career of anybody from these first couple years of kiffin's era i just think he is built to play in the pros for a long time and i could be wrong that i'm wrong about a lot of stuff but I think he's just –
0: I think he's Trey Elston, but I love that take. I love that. We're just firing off takes Um, today. I'm proud of us.
3: But then beyond that, Otis Reese is going to be good. Ladarius Tennyson has looked very good as a box safety. I'm curious how he'll look in coverage, but when he's in the box, as an extra linebacker. He looks super good. And when Aisheem Young gets healthy, I'm sure that he will – start contributing as well to kind of have a four-headed monster at safety. Some of the freshmen on the defensive looked good this spring. Davis and Ike Benosin the part. And then special teams,
0: we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's, that's for fall. This is Talk of Champions. I'm been Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Have you ever wondered what you're going to do for retirement? Or if you're ever going to actually be able to retire? Well, if so, give my friend Thomas Chandler a call. He specializes in retirement investment planning and loves helping people plan for their dream. Give him a shout today at 662 296 0186. The 662 296 0186. And start taking control of your future today with Thomas Chandler. Let's hear from BNA Bank, another proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. code TOC for Talk of Champions to save 10% on apparel. BXG, a proud sponsor of the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already, Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen lighted up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Takovas, the, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Anybody that you came in thinking so-and-so needs to step up, and they have, like Brandon Mack, Demon Clowney. Brandon Max looked good. All right. He's looked good. Damon
3: Clowney, I, I've seen him take some reps at inside backer, which isn't Ooh. entirely surprising um, because they need bodies there, uh, and we'll see what they end up doing. I'm trying to think the, the inverse of that is receiver, where I kind of mentioned the depth issues. I haven't seen the person step up at receiver, mm. whether it's Dennis Jackson or Braylon Brown or Brandon Buckholt or any of these guys. I haven't seen them kind of be a 1A, 1B to Mingo and Watkins, and Mingo hasn't been practicing that much. Um, I mean, guy who has absolutely looked the part has been uh, Michael Trigg, because it's impossible for a guy that big not to look the part. Um, We'll see usage-wise how valuable a tight end is. I looked this up a couple of weeks ago uh, in the transfer portal era, so going back the last three years, there were only three times that a transfer portal tight end has finished in the top 100 in college football in either receptions receiving yards or receiving touchdowns. Two of them were at the university of Virginia and one of them was Kenny Yaboa. So there is kind of a track record for Kiffin bringing in a tight end and figuring out how to use him. But you also have to acknowledge that Yaboa had two good games and then kind of was a non-factor for uh-huh. a lot of his year. Uh-huh. Um, so if Trigg is going to be as productive as Yaboa, he's going to have to be a little more consistent, but he has been a standout
0: for sure. Three guys that are Knicks guys after three full weeks of practices. Knicks guys, I like that guy. He's going to be – A.J. Finley we've established, so A.J. Finley, then who are the other two?
3: Oh, gosh. Jared Ivey looks the part. Mm. Um, (laughs) I've been laughing about it because it's just such a – Funny concept, but we talked to Tavius Robinson in media a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about Jared Ivy, and he said we get along, we're about the same height, and I just love that concept of yeah. men bonding. It's like <laughs> you're 6 four, I'm you're tall four. too, incredible.
2: Yeah,
0: well, it's pretty um, much what the Bash Brothers did, in Mighty Ducks. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: so if the, if Ole Miss's defense starts uh, quacking, that mm-hmm. that'll explain it. Um, Who would be kitty woo guys? All right, if the Bash brothers are Tavius Robinson and Jared Ivey, who is the Kenny Wu of the Ole Miss defensive line?
3: Trying to remember. Is Kenny Wu the guy who didn't know how to stop?
0: No, Kenny Wu was the gymnast. Okay. Or the ice skating gymnast. Is that a thing? You know what I'm saying. Did the trick stuff. The figure skater. Yeah,
3: there was the trick one, and then there there
0: was the figure skater, and then there was the speed skater. No, Benny the Jet Rodriguez was a speed skater that couldn't stop.
3: No, Benny the Jet Rodriguez was from the Sandlot, wasn't
0: he? Yeah, but he played that guy in Mighty Ducks. Oh, okay, the actor. Guys. Yeah, I don't know what his character's name is. No, I don't know what his character's name is in Mighty Ducks. He's going to be Billy the Jet in whatever he does. He's now a firefighter. I don't know why I know that, but he's a firefighter in California. I apparently really uh, care yeah, about no. Benny the Jet, but anyway, yeah, Benny the Jet played some character in Mighty Ducks that couldn't stop. Kenny Wu became one of the Batch Brothers. Jesus Christ! Oh, why are we here? But Kenny Wu became one of the Bash Brothers, and he was a figure skater that they turned into a hockey player. What was okay, the name so of the guy? What was the name of the, yeah yeah What was the name of the guy with the uh, with the rope that did the roping and stuff? Obviously, yeah, it would have been I put, know, put it in the box. I got it. Okay, sorry. What well, do you he, think? The last time I saw D two, the Mighty Duck? Well, he would hog tie opposing players. Like I feel well, like I that's a pretty. I remember the premise then, but my whole thing is. I don't is, remember his character name. How did anybody allow this dude to bring a rope onto the ice? This is Team USA. So When I was in
3: college, I wrote a. When I was in college, I wrote an actual essay for an actual class about D two, the Mighty Good. Ducks. And how after the Cold War, when the U.S. couldn't just make Russia the villain in its sports movies, they had to get really wild and just pick random countries that no one would ever be in the Ireland. <laughs> yeah,
0: Ireland. Iceland. 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 Yeah, Iceland, sorry. Iceland, um, I'm sorry.
3: Because there are a couple of other movies from the mid-90s where it's just like a uh, vaguely European villain, but we're not calling it Russia anymore. Like Ivan Drago, you can say what you want about Rocky Four, and trust me, I have. That's a that's a good way to set up a villain. It's just like, hey, we as a country don't like that type of person. Get him. The 80s were weird. I'm glad I didn't live through it. But who is the kitty
0: Wu of the Ole defensive line?
3: So so in this situation, J.J. Pegues is the Kenny Wu and Cedric Johnson is the Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Okay, thank
0: you. All right, moving on, moving on, moving on. Your other guys, you got A.J. Finley, Tavius Robinson is one of your guys? Is that what you said? Jared Ivey. Jared Ivey, uh, okay.
3: All right. I'm trying to think of an offensive guy. I've liked what I've seen from Judkins. I really have. Uh, Ulysses Bentley. Like, all of the running backs have impressed me. But, like... We might be in a similar situation that we saw last year with Ole Miss's running backs of does anyone truly deserve to be the 20 carries guy? Yeah, Zach Evans. I think Zach Evans is probably the most, ta- definitely the most talented of the bunch, but their roles are still distinct enough that they might, end up keeping Evans off the field in situations when he should have been on the field, which is the thing we saw last year as
0: well. Isn't that just um, football now with running backs? No probably. guys get 20. Except for like coaches, players coached by
3: Lane Kiffin. Like the last couple of guys who did it were your Derrick Henry's and, uh, uh you yeah, yeah. Devin Singletary's and stuff. So who knows? Uh, maybe, maybe Ole Miss runs the wing T. I don't know. We'll figure it out.
0: I can pretty much guarantee, Ole Miss will not run the wing tee. I feel safe.
3: If they ran the wing tee, I would be a that.
0: pretty good analyst. Yeah, you would
3: be. I, I can tell you, I can draw up some X's and O's
0: on the wing tee. What do you feel like Ole Miss is? You want to run buck sweep? Yes, buck sweep is, and that just what, like in Madden. They don't have you know what the plays are actually called. Mm-hmm. You got to go with buck sweep, jet sweep. It's always very by the book. Buck sweep. That was the one that went outside, right? The outside tackle run. That's buck buck sweep. sweep is effectively, you have a wing back, he uh, comes in motion, uh, he gets the handoff behind yeah. the quarterback, and then yeah. he runs off tackle. Off tackle, yeah. All right. Getting off track. All right. Record-wise, on April eleventh, two 2022, as we record the final minutes of this edition of Talk of Champions, whatever we've talked about, who knows, has your record prediction changed for Ole Miss football yet? Better or worse? No. Okay. Where no, were you I mean, and where are you now?
3: The... Okay. I still think they're on the seven five to eight and four bubble somewhere. Okay. I just they're going to be a little bit worse than they were last year. Maybe they won't. Who knows? But I think that the SEC West is a little more stable this year than it was last year. I think that the schedule is favorable enough that Ole Miss could very easily start six and one or five and two, and be a top ten, top fifteen team in October. And you and I will be on this podcast saying. Just just remember, if things go south from here, it's the thing that we expected. The schedule gets really hard in November, uh, which is obviously going to be tough because anytime you're top 10, you get excited, and you should get excited about being in the top 10. But, man, the schedule is backloaded this year. There is so much difficulty,
0: high degree of difficulty, in the last six weeks of the season. Is it a good thing or a concerning thing? That the quarterback race is so close. It's dead even right now. A good thing or a bad thing? It
3: is a good thing in the sense that you are less likely to have to add a quarterback in the summer. Mm -hmm. If it was a runaway, somebody's going in the portal. Um, And you'd have to start over because – whether or not you think Kincaid Dent is a capable second string quarterback, you can't have two scholarship quarterbacks. Like you would need to either get somebody to compete for second string or compete for third string. you you absolutely can't survive with two scholarship quarterbacks. So we'll see. I, I think it's probably a good thing, but it's never a great thing when you don't have somebody who is standing out as an elite
0: quarterback. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Nick Suss, at Nick Suss. Writes for the Jackson, Clarion and Ledger. If you haven't already, subscribed, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. It doesn't matter what you say. Ben, you smell bad. Okay, five stars. This podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Just simply search Talk of Champions. And I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, olemspirit.com, and foot of own 3com Me and Brad will be back later this week. Thank you, my friend. I enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, I enjoyed it, and I don't think you smell bad, so I oh, hope that I don't you. review you that
0: way. Oh, my God. Thank you.
2: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.